Hello and welcome back, faithful listeners, to season two of the CDI podcast. I'm Shelby Beagle, director of the University of Central Arkansas Center for Community and Economic Development. We are so fortunate to have a strong partner network across the state, and today I'm joined by one of those partners, um, our friend, Dr. Stacy McCullough from the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture Cooperative Extension Service. Stacy is the Director of Community Professional and Economic Development and also serves on our CDI Advisory Board. Stacy, thanks so much for joining me. I'm happy to be here. Well, we are happy to have you. And we like to jump right into the questions on the CDI podcast. And we always kickstart our conversations with uh, learning a little bit of history about our guest. And I'm really interested to know this, Stacy, because I don't think I know a lot about your history and how you got to where you are today. So kind of give me the XYZ ABCs of how you got to be in your position. Sure. Um, I mean, I think like most people in similar positions, this isn't where I started my journey. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, when I got out of high school, I was originally had big plans to be a, a diplomat somewhere. I was going to major in political science and um, I don't know, somewhere in my I think my sophomore year, I took an economics class and I kind of got hooked on that. And so um, I actually bumped around a couple of different colleges. I grew up in Arkansas, so I was in state and uh, basically finished by graduating with a business degree in economics from UA Little Rock. And um, so I did a nationwide job search and because uh, I wasn't, in fact, I was, you know, this is not negative against the state, but I was eager to kind of explore new places. And so I actually took a job in the private sector in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I was hired as an economist at a consulting firm. And um, my plan was work for a couple of years, then go back to school, get my master's, get my PhD and be what I really wanted to be. Um, but uh, working uh, in economics, um, I kind of got hooked. I really loved my job. Um, I, uh, so I worked for a microeconomic consulting firm and did um, a lot of work for actually the U.S. Postal Service. So I got to travel all over the country to post offices and do mail studies and cost studies and labor market modeling and all sorts of things like that. Um, it was a really good job, good job to have. Um, while I was working, I went ahead and did go to the University of Wisconsin and got my master's degree in agricultural and applied economics. Um, and my emphasis was really more on the applied economic side. Um, I did a lot of research related to local government. And um, basically at that point in the private sector, there was no need for me to get my PhD. I really was never going to be like a hardcore econometrician. Like um, one of the, I think the talents I had is I could understand all of the technical things, but I could also really relate to the clientele that we served and help them uh, kind of talk between each other. And so um, that was, uh, you know, and really the best part of the job, really working with people and helping them solve problems. So for the Postal Service or other companies that we were working for. And um, so my husband and I were in Madison, Wisconsin. I was there for 12 years, um, kind of worked my way up in that company. And uh, we both got sick of winter and uh, decided that we wanted to move south again. And so I 
didn't necessarily plan on coming back to Arkansas, but um, as I kind of put out my feelers, a friend said, hey, there's this position at the University of Arkansas System Division of Ag. Um, we think you'd be a great fit. Why don't you apply for it? And so um, for those of you that don't know Extension, um, 4-H is one of our program areas and youth development. And I had actually been in 4-H as a kid. Um, my mom actually worked as a secretary in the Pulaski County Extension office um, back when I was growing up. And I never even knew that they had community and economic development at that time. And so I was a little bit shocked to find that out and um, uh, ended up applying for that job and got it. And uh, it was uh, directly a good fit for my master's program because I started out working here with Dr. Wayne Miller, who's our economist on staff. And he does economic development, but he also does local government finance. And so I was hired to work on local government finance programs, as well as at that time, we were launching our public policy center. So this was back in 2004. And so my time was supposed to be split between those two entities. And um, with the, the public policy center, my primary focus was on the ballot issues education, which we continue to do today. Um, they do it much better than when I started, probably. But um, that's the good thing about having good people. Um, and so really working for Extension, I was just blown away, um, you know, because we are a statewide entity, we have offices in every county in the state, but our county faculty don't really have expertise in community and economic development. I had a lot of opportunities to go out and uh, learn about communities in our state and hear about some of the challenges that they were facing, some of their aspirations, things they wanted to do. And I just really got excited about this is this is the greatest job ever. Um, and it probably much to my boss at that time, Dr. Miller's chagrin, I kind of started doing other things. I started doing getting involved in some leadership development, some more community development work and really decided this was the place for me. I, I could see my future here. And so I, I knew uh, I did want to move up within the organization and uh, I knew I had to get my Ph.D. to do that. So um, I uh, while working, uh, commuted to Fayetteville and got a degree in public policy, um, specializing in rural economic development. I did my dissertation on local policy to support entrepreneurial development. And um, from there, kind of moved into a faculty position with broader responsibilities. And, um, you know, now today, uh, I guess from there, I became assistant director for the Public Policy Center and then the director for that center, um, and then now today, director of our whole unit, which that center is part of. So um, it was kind of a convoluted way to get there, but um, it really worked out for me. And, you know, so now I manage a team of 30 people that work in a variety of areas that I think we're going to talk about today, but um, it's you know, everybody I work with, whether it's in our department or other departments, they're passionate about helping people and they're passionate about making Arkansas the best place to be that it can be. And so, um, you know, people say the days are gone when you work for a company for a long time, but I'll, that's definitely not going to be the case for me. I mean, I certainly don't have any plans to go anywhere else. I'd love to finish out my career here. Now, you never say never. Um, but I also have found that even the young people that I've hired in the time since then, you know, the work in community and economic development, it's so diverse there are so many different opportunities to make a difference in so many different ways that, you know, I think most of them will stay here for many years. Like you can't say that they'll never leave, but um, I do think they are passionate about it. And I think, 
you know, again, that, that's the nice thing about working at communities. While we do have some state level programs that we try to do consistently, we also try to be responsive to local needs and um, whether it's through our county extension offices, things that they're identifying through their county advisory committees or, you know, direct requests for assistance from local leaders or elected officials that we're working with, we try to be responsive. And so you really have this opportunity to make a difference and you have diversity of a lot of things because not everybody needs the same thing. In fact, everybody pretty much needs something a little bit different. And so you get to tailor what you do to the, the people and the communities that you're serving. Well, Stacy, your background story really did fit perfectly um, as an intro to the other questions that I have for you. And I do wanna make a comment that uh, every time we go into a community at UCA, um, we always try to link up with, the, um, with your extension folks because they really are the heart of the community a lot of the time, and they're the organizers and the boots on the ground. So um, if anybody wants something done, definitely reach out to your county extension office um, because they have a lot of great resources and they have a lot of connections across the state. Um, and they, they really are there to serve the community and the county. Um, and so I'm glad that you wove that into um, sharing your background. And I also loved hearing about your background because I had no idea that you lived in Wisconsin <laughs> and worked <laughs> as an economist. Zero yes, I had flashbacks uh, during the winter storm of February 2021 <laughs> yeah, of why I left Wisconsin. About having that, getting away from that winter weather. And I was like, oh, it must it followed you, you know, a, a, you know, years later. So, <laughs> but I, I'm sure that hopefully that's just a offshoot of what happens normally in Arkansas. Um, so we are going to dive a little bit deeper into specifically um, the profession, community professional economic development uh, unit um, that you run, your team of 30. And um, we're going to kind of break it down um, into all of the services that you offer and talk a little bit more about them. So uh, first and foremost, I wanted to talk about leadership. Um, I'm currently a part of the LEADAR program that you all run, um, but I would like you to share a little bit about what LEADAR is. That's kind of your primary leadership program, um, what you all are known for, um, but other, um, also if you can share any other leadership services or trainings that you all offer. Sure. So um, LEADAR is our statewide leadership program. Um, it's approximately two years, a little bit less than that, although COVID, it's a little bit longer when you add in some of the virtual stuff, probably. Um, we are actually one of the first leadership programs in the state. A lot of the county leadership programs that you see now are modeled after LEADAR. Um, we're in class 19 now. So that if you do the math, that kind of takes you back how long we've been around. Um, since then, there have been a lot of other leadership programs that have emerged, and uh, we think that's great. Um, uh, I think there's always a need for leadership development and capacity building across our state. Um, one of the things I think that sets our program apart is that we are really trying to focus on grassroots people across the state. So we're not focused to business leaders necessarily. We want a diverse population of people and representation from across the state that come from a variety of perspectives and a variety of different walks of life. So um, we did a comprehensive evaluation of the program a couple of years ago and um, identified some, some of the challenges that we face and some of the things where maybe we had some mission drift um, you know, because we were originally uh, focused on agricultural and rural leadership development, and that is still really at the core of what we do. Uh, but since then, there have been some other agricultural leadership programs that have emerged. And, and as the state has changed, while agriculture is still our biggest um, economic sector in the state, um, 
you know, it the technology has changed what agriculture looks like and the number of people involved in agriculture. And so, um, you know, not just agriculture, but as you think about rural communities and how they've evolved and population shifts, um, you know, one of the things that we really try to focus on is as a state, we need leaders who understand the needs and the strengths of every part of our state. And so we really try to target um, 50% of our class members from rural parts of the state, 25% representing agriculture in some way, whether you're a producer or a farmer or work in ag lending or some other part of the ag sector, and then 25% from urban, because we know how important it is for our urban and our rural leaders to be working together and to understand the challenges that are a little bit unique and also understanding the interdependencies, right? So urban Arkansas, you know, if you call it urban, which, you know, some places would laugh, but, you know, for us, you know, central Arkansas, northwest Arkansas, those are our big population centers. And then you've got Jonesboro and Fort Smith and um, a few other places sprinkled in. But it is important that we have leaders that understand the challenges, not just in those parts of the state and those opportunities, but how that relates to our rural areas. And so that we're as a state moving forward, because that's the only way we're going to address some of the major issues that we're facing and maybe get ahead in some of these indicators that we're, we struggle with and we've struggled with for a long time. And so leadership capacity building is uh, a big passion for us. And that really is what we're trying to do with LEADAR is help position people that want to make a difference in our state, want to serve in leadership positions, give them the tools give them the knowledge that they need to be successful um, in, in moving our state forward in a positive direction. Uh, beyond LEADAR, we also recognize that there's other opportunities for leadership development. You know, we have a limited class and there are limited seats in, if you look at all the leadership programs, there's still a lot more people that are doing things that make a difference in our state. And so, um, you know, we can provide technical assistance in communities that want to launch their own leadership programs. Over the years, you know, we have helped some of the chamber-based programs, but also some of the youth leadership development programs and others. So if you live in a community and you know, you're interested in a leadership development program. And, and one of the things that we really try to encourage people to do is think about what type of, what are the leadership needs that you're trying to cultivate? Um, don't just design a program that's modeled after the state chambers program or LEADAR or the county program next door. What is it you're trying to do? Are you trying to um, help create a pipeline of leaders to serve in city council positions on boards that you have um, to work and provide leadership in nonprofits. What is that leadership need that you're trying to fill and then design a program that can result in those types of leaders. And so that's what we try to work with communities when they, when they talk about establishing a leadership program. We want to know why. Why do you want it? What do you want to accomplish with it? What do you want the long run, long term results to be from that? And then let's figure out what are the things that you need to do and how you make that happen in a way that's going to be successful. And then finally, we do a lot of skill development workshops. Again, we we try and over the years we've adapted our programs because we don't want to do what anyone else in the state is doing. So if there are other groups out there that are doing something or have come in you know, started taking on more of a role in a certain capacity, we're going to look for where's the need beside that, what could complement that, what could support that, or where is there a gap somewhere else. And so we do have a number of skill development. I mean, we do 
personality assessments through True Colors and some other um, programs. Um, we provide uh, training on parliamentary procedure for nonprofits and groups that are trying to figure out how to manage themselves more effectively, you know, effective communication and listening, uh, dealing with conflict. Um, you know, more, more recently with COVID, we did um, quite a bit of training on virtual communication and best practices, um, you know, so uh, the, the content sometimes changes and a lot of this is driven by requests that we get for assistance. So, you know, especially if it comes through our county offices, um, if it's something that we already know somebody else offers, we try to connect them to that resource. If it's something that we offer on a regular basis, we'll go ahead and do that. If it's something that we don't offer and we can't find anybody else that offers, then we look about, is that an area that we need to build some capacity uh, or do a little research on our end and gear up so that we can offer that as well. So that's kind of our take on leadership development. And, uh, but it's really critical. Um, I, you know, you can't, you can't say enough about how important it is to have leaders that have skills to be effective, but also have uh, the mindset of wanting to learn and understand issues from a variety of perspectives and search for the best solutions um, rather than having it a set agenda and not necessarily um, being open to other ideas because um, you know, there's a lot of people that have a lot of great ideas in our state, and we need to be thinking about all those different perspectives to find what's the best path forward rather than it's always my way or the highway. Yes, Stacey, I think that, um, you know, what you shared about customizing um, your programs and the skills that you um, help cultivate in leaders um, to those specific different areas um, in different parts of the state. I feel so important. And then obviously, um, you know, teaching those skills uh, to leaders um, about um, having that cohesiveness um, and listening to diverse voices and being a listener um, instead of a my way or the highway type of leader. Um, so we've already touched on this a little bit, uh, but community and economic development is um, obviously another part of your unit at UAX. Um, and what resources do you all offer in the realm of CED um, and what maybe highlight some projects that you're currently involved in? Um, sure. So, and, and we're sort of in ad an adaptive phase in some of this work. Um, Mark Peterson, who worked with us for a long, long time, retired back in March. Um, we have a new faculty member that will be joining us um, later on this summer that's going to take on some of this work. But um, again, similar to the leadership development, I think we try to take a customized approach for communities or regions that are wanting some help with visioning or planning or implementing um, some of the ideas that they have for the future. Um, uh, but that is certainly an area is um, just working with organizations or communities or regions, figuring out what is it that they really need. What is it that they really want to have happen? What are some of the gaps in their capacity? And then how can we support them in moving forward on that? So, you know, for years we've had breakthrough solutions. We will have something probably a little bit different moving forward um, that will be somewhat standardized. But I also think there are there's always the need to do some customized facilitation because again, every community, every organization is unique and you need to play to the strengths uh, and the things that make sense for those communities or regions. Um, so kind of to go along with that, we do have a team that does analysis of regional 
um, and local social and economic conditions. Um, uh, part of that work, I guess, our probably most notable publication that relates to that is our Rural Profile of Arkansas, which was um, just released uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and that's something we do every other year in conjunction with the General Assembly, um, the regular session. Um, and again, it was originally designed to give these, these newly elected officials some research-based information about our state, about what are some of the trends um, in the different parts of our state and what are some of the key issues. Um, and so, because I think, you know, everybody comes in and they think they know everything, but, you know, with, now you're, you're not just making a decision for the town you come from, you're making a decision that will impact everyone in our state potentially. And so being aware of differences that um, exist across our state is important. And so that's really the, the rationale for the rural profile. Um, this year, we actually have an online uh, interactive, um, I forget what we're calling it, dashboard, I guess, with our rural profile, where you can pull up historical data and look at trends for a particular area or on a particular topic. Um, so that's um, something new. It's been something we've been trying to get out for a few years now, and we finally got it out. So um, that's out there on our website for people to look at if they want to, if they don't want the hard copy book. Um, but it's not just for legislators, it's for everybody. A lot of people that are writing grants will utilize that. Again, most of the data is secondary data. It's not data, primary data that we've collected, but it's all in one spot, which makes it handy for people um, who maybe aren't familiar with a lot of those data sets that are out there. Um, but we also, you know, can do other economic analysis. So cluster analysis, economic opportunities analysis. We can do economic impact studies. Um, and again, we, you know, those are sort of on an ad hoc basis and as we have capacity to do them, but we do have a team that does that. Um, we uh, can provide training if communities looking at doing business retention expansion. It's kind of something we've gone in and out of over time. I know you guys have done some of that work as well. And um, there are some challenges with that, but um, we have, we utilize that in uh, an, another program that we have right now that I think I'm going to talk about in a minute. But um, as part of that, I had to get some of my team up to speed on that. So that is capacity that we have as well. And we, we do get some requests for that. Um, and I guess the other area in this, uh, you know, I don't want to call it general, but um, the local government program, I mentioned that's one of the programs I was hired to come and work with. And so we have extensive data and analysis of county revenue, revenue and expenditure trends for every county in the state that goes back, I don't know, 15 to 20 years. Um, and related to that, we have other, we want people in our state to understand why local governments exist, the services that they provide. We want local elected officials to understand, you know, have the best information they can have to make the best decisions for achieving and providing services to their citizens. So the local government things that we have, some of it's tailored towards the public. So understanding what is the property tax? Why does it exist? Where, where does that money go? How does that work? Um, understanding, um, we have an online course, Introduction to County Government, just for any person in the state who wants to understand what, how does county government work, um, they can go and take an online course that, um, to learn about that. Um, and again, all of the data that we compile, the, the 
not just the revenue and expenditure data for county governments, but some of the economic data, tax-based data, all of that is we, we collect that and we um, have that information on our website. But what we really want to do is work with local officials in using that data to make good decisions or at least explore options um, so that, you know, when you get in a squeeze, your first inclination may be, all right, we're going to cut every department 10 percent. OK, well, let's think about that. What are the or we, we need a sales tax? Well, OK, do you need a sales tax? Are there opportunities to for interlocal agreements to provide some services to help? Help save you a little money in one thing so that you can use that money for something else. So I'm um, really just thinking strategically about how do I, how do we provide the services needed for the residents um, of our community? Um, so uh, those are sort of some of the more generalized community and economic, I mean, we kind of consider everything we do community and economic development, but those are sort of other buckets beyond the, the buckets that we're going to talk about in other segments. Yeah, and Stacey, I agree that it's really hard to pinpoint what is community and economic development because community de economic development is this umbrella that really you could make a case to put literally anything <laughs> under that umbrella, um, depending on depending on what you're arguing. So I definitely agree. Um, but yes, those resources that you shared, I think are so important. Um, and a lot of those um, are things that I didn't realize that you all provided. So um, that's helpful for me as well. Um, and so moving on, um, pivoting a little bit, um, talking about the assistance that you provide um, to Arkansas businesses. Um, so what do those services entail? Sure. So our biggest program that's developed that's targeted specifically at businesses is our Arkansas Procurement Technical Assistance Center, PTAC. Um, and it kind of if you're familiar with the SPTDCs around the state, it kind of operates in a similar manner. But so we provide training and technical assistance to Arkansas companies that want to sell goods or services to local, state, or federal entities. So your local school district, or you want to sell things to the Corps of Engineers, or you know you want to do landscaping at the county-owned hospital. Um, so we have a team. Um, it's a it's a cooperative agreement that we have with the Defense Logistics Agency, which is part of the Department of Defense. It funds these programs in every state. Um, and again, we have a team of counselors that um, pretty much know everything they need, everything you would want to know about government contracting. They know it, or they know who to contact to find the answers. And so they are pretty much nonstop on the phone or Zooming or when the pandemic's over, meeting with representative, you know, business owners or managers and helping them identify market opportunities in the government contracting realm, help them um, understand how to bid on those, um, review materials, how, I mean, it's everything from finding an opportunity all the way through, now I got a contract, what do I do? how do I close it out? What does all this stuff mean? I mean, if anybody that's ever worked with the government knows it's complicated, you read that stuff and it's like your eyes have glazed over and you're just, <laughs> you've lost it. And so, but these 
our counts, our team, our PTAC team, they love it. They live it and uh, they want to help businesses. You know, we've, we've helped companies in our state over the last 10, 15 years raise o- or get over a billion dollars in government contracts. So uh, there is an opportunity. The government buys everything. And so it's just trying to figure out where is a market opportunity for your business. And so um, most of our staff are here. We do have uh, uh, one person that's stationed up in Northwest Arkansas, and we're actually looking at putting some people, someone in Eastern Arkansas starting this summer um, and possibly a couple of days a week sending people out to do counseling in communities across the state. So, um, but regardless of where you live, we're, we are accessible to you by phone, by Zoom, or in person if we, if we can make that happen. So that's um, our biggest program. Um, kind of in this area too, you know, along with business workforces hand in hand, and also creating that pipeline of workers. And so um, we do some STEM type education focused primarily around agriculture, because again, we're not trying to duplicate, but we're trying to figure out where is our niche, where is there a need. And so we have a couple of programs. We have a soybean science challenge and a soil and water conservation virtual field trip series that we're offering right now that um, are basically offering STEM education in the fields of agriculture and natural resources to students across the state. So um, we have uh, materials for teachers. We have ADE approved teacher workshops. Um, We have curriculum that we stream live or that recorded that you can access um, and uh, a variety of programs that relate to that. you know, we do also some continuing education, the income tax schools, for example, which is continuing education for tax preparers, something we've been doing for years. It started out as income tax education for agricultural producers, but over time has um, emerged. So we are IRS approved for CPE for those tax preparers. Um, you know, over the years, one of my projects has been agritourism. There weren't a lot of people that were supporting those types of businesses. Um, I've kind of shifted away from that, but there are others in our organization that do that. And then kind of our, you know, the pilot project that we're doing right now called Create Bridges um, is both a business and a workforce development program focusing on the tourism and retail sectors. Um, So Julian Dunn uh, manages that program. We're working with um, six counties in the state, two regions. Um, So uh, uh, our Sharp, Izzard, and Fulton County up in north central Arkansas, and then Little River, Howard, and Sevier County down in southwest Arkansas. Um, And again, we're one of three, well, actually, we're one of three original phase one states that introduced this program. So again, the idea is help support the businesses in those sectors, but also the workers in those sectors so that those workers find a career pathway potentially to move up if that's their desire or to prepare them to transition to other careers um, so that they can sustain their families. So um, we're in the strategy implementation of that project. That project has recently been expanded to three other states. Um, and it's something that we're looking to see if we can do a lot more with that in the future. So related to that coming out later this year, um, we're gonna be rolling out some online education for workers in those sectors to help them develop skills, again, to increase their earning potential and help them uh, become the future of those industries. So be on the lookout for that. Yeah, that's awesome, Stacey. 
Um, and so much, so much of what you've talked about, it's kind of unbelievable that you have all of these programs with just a staff of 30. I mean, we think 30 people um, is a pretty big team, but the variety of programming you offer is just blows my mind um, that you're able to offer all of that with your team. Um, and I do want to say I'm very thankful that your counselors exist um, to go over those government contracts and teach people <laughs> how to achieve those government contracts, because that's something I would never want to do ever in my life. So I'm so thankful for people that do have that knowledge that I can direct <laughs> small business owners to or businesses to to get that information. Um, so finally, Stacey, and once again, you touched on this a little bit already um, about the Public Policy Center. Um, and as you said, you were the previous director of the Public Policy Center. Um, and I wanted to close, close this out um, with sharing a little bit of information about what the Public Policy Center is um, and what its goals are um, as far as um, educating the public. Sure. So our public policy center, I think when people hear that, they think, oh, you can help us get a law passed. That's not exactly what we are designed to do. Um, uh, we were created um, and it really goes back to um, many years ago. There was a, so in our state, there is a citizen process, a petition process to get ballot issues placed on the ballot. And uh, there was a proposal out there to eliminate the property tax in Arkansas. And that's fine. We don't have a problem with that if that's what voters want to do. But we were concerned that voters didn't really understand what property taxes are designed to do in our state and how what services they fund, primarily your public education. Um, you know, they do also provide funding for state and, or city and county governments. But the primary the bulk of the property tax money does go into school districts across our state. And a lot of people didn't realize that. They just thought, well, it's an extra tax I have to pay and not, not really understanding. So that really kind of raised a bell. And over the years, periodically, when there was misunderstanding or um, people just didn't understand an issue, we would kind of put together some resources to help them understand. Just we want people to make an educated decision. Um, so you know, I think that made us realize this is this is a need that's not going away. Um, you know, when there are elections on these things and people are voting on them, all they're hearing are the commercials on TV or, um, you know, what a what a supporter or what an opponent is saying, and they're not really getting a full picture. And so that's what we were originally created to do to in increase citizen knowledge, awareness and understanding of public issues. Um, to enhance public participation in decisions regarding public issues. So whether that's voting, and again, we're not in it to say you need to vote one way or another, but we want you to have information to make what you think is the best decision for you, your family, and our state. That's what we want. We want to give you information that you can use to make those decisions. Um, and then we also want you to help you get engaged. If you want to be engaged in the policy making process in other capacities, um, we want to help you do that. And so, um, you know, our biggest program, our most visible program is our statewide ballot issues education program. Every statewide election, we do a voter guide. It walks through the basics of the issue, trying to explain it in maybe terms that are not so legislative, legal, like they're still legal. I mean, we're trying to explain it, but in words that, you know, someone like me can understand. Believe me, I've read, read enough of these proposed ballot issues to know that, you know, 
I need to spend way more than the five minutes I have in the voting booth to try to figure this out. We spend hours literally combing through these word by word, um, getting other people to review them, getting subject matter experts, legal experts to review them. Um, so not only explaining what they are, but giving any background information that we can find that would help illuminate or help you understand some of the implications and some of the history. And then also we do put in what supporters and opponents are saying, um, and they review these as well because we want it to be balanced. We don't want to be, we don't want to have anyone think that we're trying to push you to vote one way or another. We just want you to understand what people are saying about the issue and, and then you make that decision. So we do that statewide for every ballot measure that you vote on. We also can do that locally, and we've done that for a variety of um, local ballot issues. Uh, so whether it's sales taxes for hospitals or jails or millages for school districts, or we've done a few wet dry um, issues, uh, we try to take that same approach, gather research-based information, get both sides of the story, have that go through a vetted review process before releasing that for voters to consume. And if they want to get more information from supporters or opponents, go for it. I mean, we want you to have as much information as possible when making those decisions. Um, we also do try to work with communities and state agencies to encourage public involvement. Um, you know, I think sometimes people think it's easier to just, they don't understand the issue. We, we know what we need to do, but really, if you want the public to buy in and you want public to support the policies that you're putting in place, they need to be involved in that decision-making process or at least have input into that process. And legally, they have to on most things. There is a public review process and, you know, notices that you have to do. But, you know, what we've found is the more you engage the public and have conversations and listen to them, um, it, the more likely they are to, you know, think about this from a broader perspective than maybe where they started. And so really helping you think about how you can encourage public involvement in these issues. Um, we do a little bit of, uh, if there are laws passed that are of wide public um, interest or affect a lot of people and they're a little bit complicated, we try to explain that. Um, so sometimes we'll do after the fact past things. We'll do it, you know, so we've done fact sheets on the cottage food law, for example, because that was something that a lot of people were interested in. We've got a lot, a lot, a lot of education on that. Um, and then I, I would say, you know, most recently, we try to think about major public issues that can impact. So, you know, we got involved, as you all did as well, with the census and trying to make sure that people understood what the census is about, why it's important to be counted, how to get counted, those sorts of things. Um, now we're doing a lot of education on redistricting. What does that mean? How does the census impact that? So, again, just major issues that there's a lot of questions about or, or that have pretty big repercussions, like redistricting is a big thing. Once those are set, it's going to be 10 years before those are set again. So having the public understand why these things are happening, how that impacts them, and giving them ways to be involved in that process is, is really what we're all about in the Public Policy Center. Yeah, Stacey, and I will say and do another plug. I always read uh, the voter guide, um, and I love the pros and cons section and all the data that you provide. Because um, there's several times I try to stay pretty knowledgeable before an election of what's going on, but um, there have been several times where I've been presented with uh, data 
um, or, um, you know, an opinion from maybe the opposite side that I was on that really makes me change my perspective, um, or at least, at least gives me, um, you know, further knowledge to understand where someone on the other side is coming from. Um, so we can have a dialogue on that issue. It's been really helpful. Um, and once again, I have to say your team does so much. I mean, we say your unit is community professional economic development, but it's almost so much more than that. Those are just the uh, little umbrella words that, uh, that you could put um, under your team. And I want to thank you again so much for joining me this afternoon. Um, I've enjoyed learning more about the services that you all offer. And I know I speak for our audience as well when I say that. Well, thank you. No problem. We appreciate you. We appreciate the partnership with you all as well. So. Oh, yeah. And we love, we love working with your team. We try to collaborate as much as we can. I think um, for, all, all of us in Arkansas realize there's plenty of work to go around and uh, we just need to help each other and make as much positive things happen as we can. 100% <laughs> agree. So on upcoming episodes, the CDI podcast will feature CDI graduates and participants, community partners, and community and economic development experts from across Arkansas, the Mid-South, and I guess I should say the nation now. We've gone outside of the Mid-South in some of our previous episodes. Uh, we hope that you join us next week for the CDI podcast.